Welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. We do welcome you back to our series. We continue on the study of Elijah, Old Testament prophet of Elijah. But before we get to Elijah, let me, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you in this place, Alger Assembly of God, or, or maybe those that are listening online through the podcast, how many of you would say, I am absolutely, completely, totally, 100% perfect in my prayers. I don't, I don't see any hands. In fact, I saw some chuckles. You know, more than likely, if we're being honest, there's probably not one of us who would raise up a hand and say, I've got it all figured out. I'm a professional prayer. I know exactly what and how, and, and I, I've just got it all figured out. No matter how long You might be a Christian no matter how long you might be in the Lord, in a relationship with the Lord. Chances are good. Every single one of us would probably lift a hand and acknowledge and say, I could grow. I could progress. I can continue to learn and develop in my prayer time. There's probably not a one of us anywhere that would say, I've got it all down pat. In fact, maybe some of you listening, you're here and you're, you're thinking when it comes to prayer, boy, you, you wonder sometimes where God is. You wonder, is God listening to my prayers? Or as I pray, I don't really seem to see things happening in my prayers. That, that's a pretty normal one. We pray, but we don't really see things happen. Here is the good news when it comes to prayer. We can learn and grow and progress day after day after day, growing closer to the Lord. We can learn and grow and progress in our prayer time, in our prayer walk, our relationship with the Lord. Aren't you thankful for that? That where you're at right now is not necessarily where you will be or need to stay in your walk in God. You can continue to know and learn and grow, but it does take time, and we spend and invest time with God. Isn't that pretty much like life? How many things that we want do we have instantaneously? We would love to be professionals. We would love to be experts. We would love to have everything figured out about anything. But typically it takes time and a process. If you enjoy sports, you enjoy looking at some of the professional games. And you see how these individuals who have learned and studied and been taught and grown and developed and practiced year after year after year, how they continue to progress. It's much different looking at NFL football and peewee midget football. It's a big difference, right? It's a big difference between Major League Baseball, of which I'm a fan, my St. Louis Cardinals, we've lost two games in a row, so not looking good for them. But in Major League Baseball, you've got pitchers hurling this ball 90 to 100 miles an hour, trying to get the batter not to hit it. Where did those individuals start out they started out exactly where our brookie did just a few years ago 
There's a sport called T-ball. It's where they put the ball on a T, and it sits there. It doesn't move. And the child comes up to the plate with the bat in their hand, and they see the ball, and it hasn't moved the entire time they stand there. They stand, and they move, and they get the bat, and they swing. It helps to develop hand-eye coordination, but the ball's right there. It doesn't move. And once they hit it, then, you know, everybody else, there's a little bit of defense trying to catch or stop or run after the ball. And, and there's base running and throwing, catching it. It develops. But they don't stay at the t-ball level forever. They progress to what? Coach pitch. Now, normally in sports, it's the other team trying to beat your team. But in coach pitch, you have your own coach pitching to you. You've seen this? Yeah. So your coach will pitch and, and coach pitch softball. The coach would pitch to his or her team. And the, the idea is that coach is trying to put the ball right over the plate in, in the best possible case for their players to hit. They're not trying to get them out. They're trying to give them something to hit. Now, sometimes that's, that's hard even for coaches. You know, ball's going all over the place. Just get it over the plate, right? The goal is get the ball right where the player can hit it. It's, it's one step up. The ball's moving, but the coach is trying to groove it as nice as possible. But do they stay there forever? No. In, in baseball and in, in softball, eventually you work up to where the opposition has one of their players pitching to you, and now they're trying to get you out. The ball's not just sitting there for you to hit. The coach is not lobbing one right over the plate for you to hit. They're actually trying to get you out. And he progressed through high school and college and into the minor leagues and major leagues to where when you get to Major League Baseball, 90 to 100 miles an hour, and that ball with their spins, it can spin in, spin out, up, down, drop, curves. There's all kinds of things that pitchers can do with the ball. You as a hitter don't know where the ball is going. Pitcher and catcher do, and they're trying to get you out. And at the major league level, if you end up getting a hit once every three times to the plate, you are awesome. That's considered a 333 batting average, once out of three. But that takes a process as we go from T-ball all the way to the big leagues. So no matter where any single one of us might be on that spectrum, spiritually speaking, from T-ball to the major leagues in our spiritual life or in our time with prayer, know that we can grow, know that we can progress, know that God's able to, to guide us in our walk. Now, many times when we look to the Word of God, we see men and women in the Scriptures, and we look at them kind of like superheroes. 
We read about these men and women that God have used, and we say, wow, I could never do that. Or we believe, well, surely God would never do that for me. I want to remind you about a verse that we covered earlier in our study. Now, we're looking at the Old Testament prophet Elijah. If you want to get ready, we're going to be heading back to 1 Kings chapter 18. But let me remind you about a scripture from the New Testament writer, the book of James. James chapter 5, 17 and 18. Here's what he wrote. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Verse 18, then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. This is an encouragement for you. This is an encouragement for me. It says, James, James writes, Elijah was just like you and I, just as human as you and me. And we look at the word of God and what we've experienced and what we've read in, in his life so far. That Elijah, who stood and declared to King Ahab, no rain until God says, and I declare what God says. And God sent him to the brook at Cherith and fed him with ravens. Are you serious? Yes. That Elijah is just as human as you and me? Yes. And God moved him from the brook at Cherith, where? To the widow of Zarephath. The widow and her son, they had nothing left, just a handful of flour, just a tiny speck of oil. They were going to make one final meal and die. And through God's overwhelming power and provision, that never ran out. That Elijah, same as me? Yes. And when that widow's son died, God raised him back to life. That Elijah, same as me? Yes. That Elijah who confronted, as we saw last time, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, show down on Mount Carmel, the God who answers by fire is God. That Elijah who did some things I probably wouldn't do and, and needled and mocked some of those, those false prophets, that Elijah who called out and prayed out to God that God would send fire, and then God did, and not only burned up the sacrifice and the wood it was on and the stones that was on and licked up the water that was doused around the trench, that Elijah, you and I are just like that Elijah. Yes, God's word is encouraging us that we can pray like Elijah prayed and we're able to experience what Elijah experienced. Because you know what? It's the same God that Elijah served that's able to intervene in your situation and able to intervene in my situation. Amen? That's exactly what we are able to do. Now, this morning, we take a look at prayer. And what's interesting is, in our previous study, when he went to Mount Carmel and he prayed, we do have the text of that prayer. And God answered with fire. And yet, as he comes to declare and pray for rain, well, we don't see words that are in here. And maybe that's a good thing. Or everybody might be mimicking and copying. Oh, we need rain. Better pray word for word exactly what Elijah said. 
We know that there was this relationship with God. We know that he was a man of prayer. We know that he sought and prayed. But we don't have the text of exactly what he said. But we've got to pray. The author John Bunyan wrote this. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. Did you catch that? I like that. In other words, we must pray. Jesus' teachings, when he says, he doesn't say, if you pray. He says, and when you pray, pray like this. It's an assumption. It's understood. The teaching is that you and I ought to, on a regular basis, pray. The big question is how? Well, how? How do I pray? We're going to take a look at that this morning. We're going to take a look at some of the principles of prayer. How should we pray? And then we'll close with some thoughts. As we pray, what does God and what does prayer do? First of all, how should we pray? Jesus says, when you pray, he assumes we pray. We ought to be praying. We see biblical characters all through the word of God that displayed a prayer life. But how? Number one, how should we pray? Pray with purity. Now, the first verse we're taking a look at is verse 40. It's actually the last verse, and you might notice we didn't actually cover that last week. Right at the conclusion, God sending fire down from heaven, burning up the sacrifice, declaring with this act, he is the one true God, is this verse, verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. We get uncomfortable when we read scriptures and texts like this. We see instructions similar to this with Joshua and the promised land as they would go in and and get the land that God had set aside and promised for them. There were so many false gods, false religions, and countries, nations, and leaders who were so far against God, God's instructions were to remove and to get rid of these Sinful influences. That's exactly what Elijah did here. Purity. The principle is, let's be ruthless, but in getting rid of the sin in our lives. Now, that's a challenge, right? Because, everybody look up here. You and I... We are super, super good at seeing sin in everybody else. Just raise your hand. Just, just go ahead and raise your hand and say, yep, that's me. Just, just in advance, let's just get it going. Yes. We are good at seeing sin in everybody else, but many times we struggle to see the sin in our lives. In fact, how did Jesus say this? He said, maybe you know, we need to, to take the, the speck out of our eye, but be you know, the plank, the log out of our own eye be, before trying to help and, and get rid of that and something else and somebody else. That's a challenge because all around us, we are confronted with individuals and lives of sin, and we are good and quick to be able to say, sin, 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 boom, and we, we can blast everybody else in a life of sin. But the challenge is, 
What about the sin in my life, in your life? Now, we're, we're, we're Christians, and we seek God, but does that mean that we have never sinned since we prayed that prayer and sought after God? Chances are really, really good we have. So as we seek God and as we are desiring to pray, are we doing so purely, with purity? Before even getting to this part of asking for and seeking God for rain, he was seeking to get rid of the sin and sinful influences. Now understand, we're not talking about perfection. Only Jesus was perfect, spotless, sinless. But we should be seeking purity, righteousness, holiness in God's sight and in God's presence. And we can come to him pure and holy. How ought we to pray? We come with purity. Many times, man, there's all kinds of junk and garbage and sin in our lives. And we're saying, God, I want you to bless me. And we're not really saying, God, cleanse and forgive me. Get rid of this junk that's in my life. It's, it's keeping me from that close walk and that close relationship with you. I think it's this first principle. We look from the life of Elijah. He was praying with purity. Let there be purity in our hearts and our lives. Getting rid of, eliminating things that are sin, things that keep us and block us in our walk and relationship with God. So we pray with purity. Secondly, here's a good principle. Pray specifically. Verse 41, Elijah says to Ahab, that's the wicked and evil and sinful king, he says, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. We'll come back to this in a little bit. But what is he praying for? What is he seeking God after? Rain. It's not just this general, God, would you do something? He's praying for rain. All throughout this story, God has promised and God has spoken through Elijah, go to King Ahab, declare no rain until I say. Now God's speaking to Elijah to declare to the king and to the land, there will be rain. He is about to pray and seek God for rain. A challenge and encouragement for us as we pray, let's pray specifically. As we're praying for healings in bodies, God, not just heal, but God, would you do this? Pray. Pray specifically. Sometimes it's a challenge to know whether God's answered the prayer or not based on how we've prayed. We come to God with our needs and our requests, but let us bring them specifically to him, and we're able to know and see as God heals in this particular way, in this particular body, and in this particular situation, God has answered those needs. And answer those requests. We can pray with purity. We can pray specifically. Thirdly, we can pray expectantly. We see that as well in this verse. There is the sound. I am expecting. I am trusting. I am believing the sound of a heavy rain. The challenge is, are we to pray? Yes. The challenge is also, do we believe that God can answer or will answer our prayers? That's a different story. Looking at a few studies, some uh, different research studies, literally in the last couple of years, 
They found that approximately 65% of Americans claim to pray to God. In, in some form, in some fashion, in some period of time, 65%, right about two-thirds of Americans say, yes, I pray to God, including 28% of those who say they had no faith. 28% of individuals, greater than one out of four, said they prayed to God at least once in the last three months. So what we see, what we experience, and no doubt what you would probably say is, yes, I have prayed some what? To go a little deeper, though, do you trust and believe and expect your prayer will be answered? One study revealed this. 85% of people who pray regularly do not expect to have their prayers answered. Isn't that amazing? A good chunk of people pray. Even a bunch of people who don't believe in God, they'll even offer up a prayer. But there's a sizable percentage. How do you come up with a, a statistic like that? Good question. Well, I think the, the general response is this. A whole bunch of people that pray do so maybe out of obligation. Do so because it's the thing to do. But they really don't believe. They really don't trust. They really don't expect that anything's going to happen. You and I, we're confronted all over the place with, with people who know God and love God and, and others who you know, have a very kind of casual relationship with God and, and those who have no relationship. And, and whether it's online or in person, you'll hear things such as, send some prayers. Send some good wishes. Really wanting your, your good thoughts. Send them my way. They're not really sure whether prayer works or not. They're just simply saying, hey, if you think something's going to work, you pray. If you think good wishes are good, shoot them my way. But there's a good chunk of people, they're not sure God's really going to do what they're asking or seeking. Do we expect and trust and believe God for the impossible? Are we able to bring those to him, trusting and believing and expecting he's going to answer and meet that need? The challenge is this. Far too many people bring their needs and bring their requests to Facebook instead of the Father. Who's truly the one that can meet our needs? Elijah here, he's trusting, he's believing, he's so expectant, he's saying, listen... I already hear it. God's meeting, God's answering, God is going to supply this need. Man, God's come through so far. He's fed me with the ravens. He's made that little handful of meal and oil continue. He's raised the child back to life. He sent fire down from heaven. The same God who did all of that is able to send rain. I trust and I believe and I expect that God's going to answer. We pray with expectation. Fourthly, pray with humility. Verse 42, Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. 
That's an interesting, in fact, I don't know, you can look throughout the entire word of God. I don't recall a posture of prayer quite like this. I'm going to attempt it. I might be in the chiropractor tomorrow. I'm going to attempt it. It said that he, he bowed down to the ground and placed his head between his knees. I'm not sure if I'm going quite that far. It's a very unique, interesting posture. But what we see with him, the attitude of his heart combined with the physical posture of his body indicated humility. Now listen, how easy would it be for you and I, following this dynamic, powerful move of God, when when you're confronted hundreds of false prophets... You've got to sacrifice this animal on top of wood, on top of stones, and you douse it with 12 barrels of water. And then you stand up and pray, and God shoots fire down out of heaven, burns up the sacrifice, burns up the wood, sizzles and fries the stones, and licks up all the water that was sitting and filling the trough. How powerful of a moment would that be to where right after that, you come here, you come face to face with Ahab, you declare, you hear rain, but now your attitude and your posture are indicating one of humility. How easy would it be to have just a little bit of swagger, boldness, pride, arrogance? I mean... We need some rain around here. Well, just let me be the one to pray because, I mean, look what I, I mean, God did at Mount Carmel. I mean, how easy would it be to to have some business cards printed up, you know, Elijah, Firestarter Ministries. I'm about to get into the water providing ministry. I mean, and yet there's this attitude and posture of humility. Many times our attitude and posture is we're too big or self-sufficient to trust and believe in God. We try to solve our problems in our own strength, with our own resources, our own wisdom, our own supplies. Elijah bowed in humility. Now, there's a lot of different postures. Some people pray laying down. Laying down on bed might not be the best posture. You'll be receiving from God. It might be a lot of Z's. And sleep, some people, some people will sit, some people walk, kneel, stand, bow, lay prostrate. I mean, there's a lot of different postures. Probably the only one in Scripture quite like this. But it's, it's simply this attitude of humility. He, he's trying to get rid of any distractions. When we pray, pray in humility, get, get rid of distractions. Praying with a, a cell phone, with a TV, with, with all kinds of stuff nearby. But maybe a little too tempting to kind of stop our prayer and stop our seeking after God. What, what can we do to remove some of those distractions and have that, that attitude and posture of humility before the Lord? Final thought. Final principles. We, we take a look at this mighty move of God through Elijah. How do we pray? Well, like Elijah did, we Pray with perseverance. Verse 43, he said, go and look towards the sea. He went up and looked. There's nothing here, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Can you imagine? 
Elijah had gotten into this interesting humility posture. Now he asked his servant, go up to the mountain, tell me now, let me know what you see. Six times he came back and said, uh, I don't see a thing. Definitely different from the Mount Carmel experience, right? He declared, he prayed, and boom, God answered. This particular time, once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times, the servant goes up and says, I don't see a thing. If you're Elijah, what would you be thinking? Uh, God, what's wrong with me? Or better yet, God, it can't be my fault. What's wrong with you? If you were the servant, what would you be thinking? <laughs> this guy's crazy. He tells me to go up to the mountain and see what I see. I see sky. But it's the seventh time. He sees a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Chuck Swindoll said this about perseverance. He said, triumph is simply umph added to try. You and I can put a little umph in our trying, a little umph in our prayers and pray and pray and pray. Because many times we get tired and stop. We get frustrated and stop or bored and stop, distracted and stop, annoyed and stop. See no answers to our prayers and stop. Billy Graham said this, Heaven is full of answers to prayers for which no one ever bothered to ask. Pray and pray and pray and seek God and pray. In fact, Jesus taught us that we ought to pray and not give up. The parable in Luke chapter 18, jot it down and read it for yourself. But verse 1, he says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should pray and not give up. The widow who wanted justice. And he sums it up in verse 7. As the widow received justice, he said, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? In other words, pray. And then pray some more. And then pray and trust and believe that God will answer. How do we pray? If we take a look at Elijah, we pray with purity, specifically, expectantly, with humility, and with perseverance. We keep on keeping on praying. Now let's revisit a little bit of this. This was the attitude of, and lifestyle of Elijah and his prayers. So what happens as a result of the prayer? What does God do? What does prayer do? What is the result and the power of God in prayer? Number one, through prayer and the power of God, we hear the inaudible. Back to verse 41, we touched on it. Elijah said this, there is the sound of a heavy rain. Now, was anybody else hearing rain? Nobody else said, hey, it's starting to rain. Elijah, being tuned in, connected to God, he knew what God was about to do. He was hearing the inaudible. He said, oh, I can't hear God. God doesn't speak to me. Have you placed yourself in a position in God's presence and allowed him to speak? I'll declare, I've declared on multiple occasions, and, and I still declare it today. I've not heard an audible, out loud voice of God. But very clearly, on many occasions, God has spoken. 
through prayer, into my heart, through the word of God. God has spoken. And it's amazing. The more that we place ourselves in his presence, in tune, connected to God, it's just amazing how this works. We hear God. And we know what God's about to do. So here's Elijah. Nothing's happening. But he declares to the king, there is the sound of a heavy rain. Elijah hears what God's about to do before he even does it. He's hearing in the spiritual before he hears it in the natural. A.W. Tozer wrote this, God speaks only to those who take time to listen. It's the man who cares, who communes with the Most High and learns the secrets of the Lord. Expect that God's going to do what he's promised. Elijah believed that God would stop the rain, Elijah believed that God would send the fire. Why stop now and believe that God's not going to follow through on his word and send the rain? Spiritually speaking, he picked up on what other people didn't. He heard what others didn't hear. But be careful. Make sure that we are hearing God and not late night pizza. You smile, but you and I both know there's individuals who have come up to you and said, God told me this. Or sometimes they'll come up to you and say, God told me to tell you this. And then they tell you, and they think, uh, wouldn't he have told me? We've got to be cautious. But the more that we spend time with God, the more into his presence, the more into his word, the more into prayer, the more connected, the more in tuned, we're going to be to what he's desiring to do. And maybe you've had a situation like that. You just know that you know that you know what God's about to do. You haven't heard anything yet, but you sense in your spirit, here's what God's about to do. I think back to over half my life ago now. Kind of crazy. Graduating Bible college in CBC, Springfield, Missouri. Interviewing with pastors and churches and sending resumes and, and meeting different ones and, and trusting and believing God's going to guide and direct me somewhere. Graduation happened. I still didn't have a place, so I was going to stay on campus at least for the summer. If I still didn't have a place, by the time school started in the fall, they'd have to kick me out because I've, I'm graduated. My parents got a call right before graduation from a pastor in Ohio. I put that number on because I wasn't sure where I was going to be. This was before the era of cell phones. You get it? So I want to make sure the number that I sent out would work. Because I probably wasn't going to be in my, my school dorm room. The pastor talked to my parents and got a you know, good review from them. And they said, well, he'll, he'll probably call you after graduation. So I would already moved from one dorm room into the other dorm room for the summer. But after graduation, the pastor calls. We had a conversation, and during that conversation on the phone, I knew that I knew that I knew that's the place God was going to lead me to. Probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we talked a little bit about me and, and family and, and uh, spiritual life and CBC, talked a little about him and family and church and this place called Galleon. He mentioned there was, there was going to be, you know, next couple of weeks, a pretty busy schedule for the church, and, and they're in the process of seeking and searching, but he would be sure to get back with me. So I hung up the phone. I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have a computer. didn't have internet. But I had a Rand McNally map 
You know, the, the ones that are bigger than the family Bible? I pulled that out. I had to go back to the, the back, almost the concordance of the maps, you know, where all the cities are listed with the letter and number so you can find it on a map to figure out where in the world Galleon was. I knew Columbus because I'd learned that in my capitals. I knew Cleveland and Cincinnati because of their pro sports teams. Never heard of Galleon. But I knew that I knew that I knew. That phone was going to ring, and it was going to be an invitation to come to Galleon. Elijah knew that he knew that he knew. Go, go see. There's the sound of a heavy rain. Before he heard it in the physical, he knew what God was about to do. So in this process in part, what does prayer do? What does the power of God do? It helps us to hear the inaudible. Secondly, to see the invisible. Verse 43 and 4, again, he's speaking to his servant. Go up and see what you see. And six times he says, I see nothing. There's nothing there. Seventh time, there's just a little something. I mean, it's not much. You know, he didn't say there's big, white, fluffy clouds that, that cover the whole sky. He didn't say, ooh, the, the sky is dark and there are these ominous rain cloud-looking clouds. He, he says there's just the small little cloud about the size of a man's hand coming up from the sea. He doesn't really see much of anything. Elijah sees it. The servant sees what his physical eyes are looking at, but he's not the one seeking and connecting and praying with God. The more we connect in prayer and communicate with God, we're going to see a little differently. We're going to be a little bit more in tune to what God is doing. Maybe see some of those circumstances in a little bit different way. So back to the story with Galleon. It was a little longer than I anticipated. Maybe an extra week or two passed where I thought. But sure enough, that phone rang again, and that pastor called me up. Mentioned they'd you know, certainly looked a little bit more, and they had this busy couple of weeks, and, and here's, here's what was going on at the church, but... As a result of their praying and seeking in God, they wanted to extend that invitation for me to come and to visit the church. Meet the board, meet the people, maybe preach, kind of connect and, and just kind of meet. We'd still never met in person. I, didn't even, I had no clue, I had no picture of what he looked like. He said he's kind of a, a cross between uh, Rush Limbaugh and the commish from the old TV show. It was a, probably a pretty good... Uh, description. And we get a little further, and, and he says, I want to know if you would be interested in us bringing you out to kind of, you know, spend the weekend together and see what God has. I, I sensed well before he called, he was going to call and present that, right? So I said, yes, I would love to. His response, great, because I already bought the plane ticket. On both ends, both were sensing God moving. He was hearing a yes before he even dialed me. Bought a plane ticket. I was hearing a yes well before that phone even rang. Why? Both ends, seeking God, trusting and believing for the situation at hand. As we pray, the, the power of God, we hear the inaudible, see the invisible, and finally, feel the supernatural. 
Check this out, verse 45 and 6. Soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Did, did you catch that? I mean, we remember the ravens and, and the widow and the miracle and the, the sun brought to life and, and Mount Carmel and fire from heaven and rain, but did you catch what just, just kind of snuck in there in the text? God gave special supernatural strength to Elijah and he ran ahead of King Ahab in a chariot. Let me just give you a, a few quick facts. Mount Carmel to Jezreel, I, I was looking, what would that distance be? And you know, when, when you study certain things, there's a, a wide range of opinions. So I found anywhere from about 12 miles to about 25 miles. Let's just say it could be anywhere from a half marathon to a marathon. The fastest marathoner actually took place yesterday. You might have seen it on the news. The first person to break... First person to break a two-hour marathon. It was like uh, one hour, 59 minutes, and so many seconds. That averages out to about 13 miles an hour. So a man running a marathon, fastest ever in recorded history, would average about 13 miles per hour. A two-horse chariot would easily be double that at about 25, maybe to 30 or 35 miles an hour. Elijah's saying... You gotta, you gotta get this chariot because once the rains come and the marsh comes, I mean, this is gonna be soupy land. That chariot and those wheels are useless. You better hurry up. We think in the natural. How in the world could a human being outrun a chariot? If we're asking that question, we've just not been paying attention. Cue the ravens. Cue the widow. Cue her son raised to life. Cue fire from heaven. Cue rain when there was no rain for three and a half years. In light of all that, God just throwing an extra miracle in, it's just a bonus. It's supernatural strength. God's able to do the supernatural and help a tired. I mean, can you imagine the, not just the physical but the spiritual nature of that conflict on Mount Carmel? Hours and hours of this spiritual battle. Hundreds of false prophets seeking their God. He's interacting with them, then seeking the one true God. And following that is declaring rain. Man, that would be exhausting. And on top of that, he's got strength then to outrun a chariot. Kind of reminds me of Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. Rise up on wings like eagles. Trust in God for supernatural strength in your body, healing, provision, guidance, direction, all the specifics you might need in your situation. As we pray, we just know that we know that we know. We're beginning to hear what's about to take place, see what's about to take place as God moves but then feel his strength, his power, his healing, his provision. 
the supernatural power of God in our life. You see, when we pray, God answers prayer. And powerful things happen. So let's pray with purity. Let's pray specifically. Let's pray expectantly. Let's pray in humility. Let's pray and persevere in our prayer to then hear the inaudible, see the invisible, and feel the supernatural. Supernatural. 